0: the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, this two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters here on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, August 10th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 to 43. Moses wraps up his first sermon in the book of Deuteronomy by reminding Israel about the unique ways the Lord has revealed himself as their God so that they will cling to him and to his statutes. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today. We have with us returning guest, Pastor Joel Hawk. Pastor Hawk serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. Pastor Hawk, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: It's good to be back with you, Pastor Apple.
0: As we get started today, let's talk a little bit of context. We're at the end of Moses' first sermon here in the book of Deuteronomy. What should we know as we prepare to look at the way he wraps that sermon up today?
1: Uh, Once again, the the people of Israel are just on the eastern side of the Jordan as they're getting uh, prepared to enter the the major portion of the promised land. Uh, Moses is explaining and rehashing the law and Israel's uh, covenantal relationship with God. Um, He's urging them to uh, continued faith and trust, uh, which then also lead them to um, obey his statutes and uh, uh, cling to him alone as they live in the land that he's giving them. Um, and we're we're dropping into kind of at the end of the first section where he's he's doing that after he's he's recounted the wilderness years that they spent wandering um, and the reasons for them right their refusal to enter the land after the evil report from the the spies that went in about 40 years prior, um, but then he's rehashed God's continued goodness to them his defeat of kings Sihon and Og and the fact that also then uh, because of uh, a couple of incidents Moses himself can't enter. The land with them. And and here in this uh, kind of last portion again of that first sermon, uh, Moses is going to speak to that temptation to idolatry and extol Yahweh, their God, their deliverer, um, as God alone, the only God, and therefore uh, worthy of their continued trust and worship, um, remembering all that He has done for them and all that He's shown them um, in the years prior.
0: All right, so we have before us the conclusion of Moses' first address, his first sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. We're picking up in Deuteronomy 4, verse 25. When you father children and children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, Whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? to you it was shown that you might know that the lord is god there is no other besides him out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you and on earth he set he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of egypt with his own presence by his great power driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day? Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. I'll stop there. That takes us almost through the end of our text. That takes us through the end of verse 40. Verses 41 through 43 are a bit of a brief interlude that we'll pick up at the very end of our show today. So we've got the the conclusion to Moses' first sermon. And Moses brings up what could happen in the land yeah, father, children, 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 and you start to get old. What's the the danger that Moses brings up here at the beginning of the, our section today?
1: Uh, the, the danger uh, here is that uh, again, the people of Israel uh, will act corruptly, do evil in the sight of uh, the Lord their God, and and in doing so, uh, provoke Him to anger. Um, growing old here, you know also may mean more than just kind of the physical aging process uh, that, that we uh, think of. Um, it may also point to a, a spiritual um, aging, but not a spiritual maturity, kind of the, the aging in the, the negative sense that we all you know understand may be part of the, the process of, of getting older. Um, uh, Harstad in the, the Concordia commentary calls it spiritual senility um, as they enjoy mm. the land but forget the one, Um, who gave it to them and continues to give them um, all good things that they'll enjoy the, the stuff God gives uh, but uh, but forget the one who is the giver. And, and thus the, the problem then might be that they uh, you know, fail to pass on the teachings of the Lord um, with, with fresh vigor and renewed zeal and uh, um, insight to the, the children and their children's children. And they'll begin to, to suffer from spiritual forgetfulness uh, and uh, won't uh, remember um, all that God has done for them, all that he's promised to continue to do and be for them um, as they live in the land, right, the land again that he is uh, giving them.
0: So yeah, I like the way that you put spiritual senility, maybe spiritual dementia of sorts that, that things just, and I don't know, not to, but things just kind of like, this is the way they've always been. There's that forgetfulness of the way God brought them into the land, that he's the one that did it all on his own. And, and yeah, we've been here so long. Okay. We've been here. That's great. And you forget the one who brought you there that he's the one who keeps you there and continues to sustain you. This is a a danger for the children of Israel going into the promised land. It continues to be a danger for us as Christians today to, to fall into just sort of like, this is the way things always have been. And, and I appreciate the way that, that you described it, that, you know, like to, to teach it to our children with a, a freshness, with a vigor. Uh, I've, I've heard another pastor put it that, that we should teach these things to our children, that we should take them to church because not because of of some sort of nostalgia for it or some side sort of sort of that's the way it's always been, but because this is what I actually need. That if that if I don't receive the gifts of God, then I'm lacking. And, and to have that absolute necessity of God's gifts, that seems to be the the same. That's what I think that's what Moses is doing in this whole sermon. He's he's reminding the people, look, you're about to go into the promised land. Here's what you need to know that that this is there's a necessity here for you. And if you forget these things, it will go very, very poorly.
1: Yeah, and you lose your you lose your joy of being, you know, God's people, and what that what that all means in receiving His you know good gifts to you. And uh, yeah, so if, if we uh, you know if we have that freshness for ourselves, if we have that joy in ourselves, if we have that understanding of our own continued need, uh, then uh, it gets passed down. As as a continued need for for generations uh, to come, and this is always kind of the, the promise that God. Uh, holds out as you as you continue to return to me and seek me and, and come to me i'll continue to to bless you and be with you and you know, he promises to bless them and be with them far longer than they'll than they'll even remember i'm um, in hopes of continuing to always be there uh, when they do forget for a time um, and uh, want to return uh, to him and that's the the grace of god uh, thankfully that we even see uh, right in this text he says uh, um, you know when you return um, if you return you know i'll, I'll be here uh, for you. Um, and so we can take yeah. great comfort and confidence uh, in that promise. Uh, yeah, if we find ourselves having fallen into the, the same kind of spiritual malaise as the children of Israel, uh, you know, the promise is God hasn't given up on us. Um, he's, he's there to receive us again, uh, but it is a call to, to wake up and to kind of renew that, uh, uh, that drive to receive his gifts uh, for our salvation.
0: One of the signs of this spiritual forgetfulness of growing old in the land that Moses brings up right away is the matter of making a carved image in the form of anything. He In the previous text, he described all those forms of anything that there might be. Here he pretty much summarizes it. What's the, what's the danger of the carved image that Moses would bring it up yet again so quickly?
1: The danger of the carved image, right, is something you can hold, something you can see, uh, something that is... Uh, that is right there in front of you, uh, and you know it is a little easier to grasp than perhaps the, the memory of what God has done. And uh, you know, even though you're enjoying the the memory of what He's doing there, right? Uh, we are we are you know, creatures with senses, and so yeah, if we don't uh, you know see or experience so, or things uh, uh, you know like that, there are there is the danger that we we forget uh, God, and we're, we're tempted to go to what we can see right now, what we can uh, experience. Uh, right now and this is right this is evil in the Lord's eyes and it provokes him to to anger, for though he is not created and though he is uh, uh, you know not always uh, accessible to our senses um, like a, a carved image might be, um he is the Lord of heaven and earth he is. Uh, the one who has created all things and gives all things. And so, uh, yeah, we don't like to talk about it uh, you know, so much in our society today or maybe, uh, unfortunately, in the church as much as we need to. Uh, but God does, God does get provoked to anger um, at idolatry, at rank evil uh, that comes from forgetting him and his goodness to us.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, it's something that we certainly need to hold on to and not forget from the the scriptures about the reality of God's anger against our sin, and certainly made clear for us in the book of Deuteronomy in multiple places. Uh, we, we mentioned this briefly yesterday, and it's, it's probably worth another mention because of just the, the, the nature of it. This matter of making a carved image that God so clearly spoke against in the previous text, and again here, and his anger at it even, how does that tie into I mean, at many churches today. There's a crucifix and there's an image of, of God. What's the what's the difference?
1: Yeah, and at uh, Trinity where I serve in Rochester, it's uh, carved into a, a huge limestone uh, uh, structure in the front, uh, in the very front of the sanctuary. I mean, you cannot miss it. Uh, uh, if you, people go to our website, they, they will see it there. It's it's kind of the focal point of uh, of our sanctuary. Um, and so, yeah, what what is the difference? Um, I you know, I don't know what your discussion yesterday was, but uh, for me, it's it's always come down to, and I think this is where the the church has always talked about. Right God is, is uncreated, uh, but now especially in Christ and the images of Christ that we have, Christ became flesh. Christ entered into creation. Uh, so now God has become a creature uh, and, and we never worship right we never worship the images of uh, Christ our Savior, uh, but He did walk and talk among us as one of us. Uh, we know the form. Uh, that Christ had. He was a he was a man uh, living in uh, Judea two thousand years ago or so, uh, and so uh, we can I think safely, um, if, you know, make make images to help us remember, um, you know, what who he was, what he did, um, and what he still is for us as uh, both God and man um, in the flesh for our salvation.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's what we talked about yesterday was the fact that in Christ we see the image of God. Christ calls himself the image of God. If you want to see God, where where do you look? You look at Jesus and and in that image then in in him we do see God. And so when we the as, uh, the way I think we put it yesterday was the that's the difference between Deuteronomy chapter 24 with the year 1406 BC and the year 2022 is that everything that Jesus did comes in between it and that's why we do i mean and i i looked up your website while we we're talking here and what a fantastic image there that you have as the reminder of who God is he is the one who has been crucified and raised for our sins when we see him we see what he has done so that we do not need to be afraid of having a crucifix or you know even like a, a nativity scene around christmas time or other pictures of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done, this is good. It helps to do the very teaching that prevents the spiritual forgetfulness we're talking about. So with with that in mind, keeping through the text then, as the Lord speaks through Moses, you have this calling of heaven and earth to be witnesses against the people of Israel in verse 26. What's What's happening with that language?
1: Uh, yeah it's it's kind of a reminder that right God himself is you know, Lord of all creation and uh, he's he's calling uh, your creation kind of against uh, or to at least witness what Israel Will do or fail to do uh, in the land that's happening um, in the created cosmos and in the created order. So nothing is going to escape uh, uh, the notice of you know the land. I mean, it's almost a personification of of the land and and the heavens and the earth. But it's it's a reminder of Israel's um, status and nature in creation, uh, doing its things you know in time and in space and in this land, uh, and and all everything will be laid bare by God in the end. I mean Christ our Lord uh, talks about this. Uh, as well uh in luke luke 8 where he says everything you know everything done in secret will be revealed uh and so what we do as people will be will be seen by the one who made uh, heaven and earth and uh, it will be you know god will call it to bear witness against us or you know for us uh in in the truth of what we do or don't do um, as his people
0: So the fact that that they will witness, then this is supposed to be a deterrent against what will happen. And the Lord is pretty clear. If you do these things, here are the witnesses, you'll perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. This is the exact, I mean, the Lord says, I'm going to fulfill my promise for you, but if you act in this way, you're going to die.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and and Isaiah one, uh, you know, brings up this the same imagery, um, and, and the Lord kind of at that mm-hmm. point, you know, brings them to witness. He says, "Hear, O heavens, and give earth O earth. I give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, the ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people uh, do not understand." He kind of calls the witnesses in uh, and begins to, uh, you know. Bring the judgment to pass in the prophet Isaiah. And so we see this is just the way God is, is working and saying, you know, God himself doesn't act in a vacuum either. He calls yeah. his own witnesses, too, to his long suffering and patience, uh, but also then uh, the need for his justice against sin and idolatry.
0: Yeah, it's, it's quite striking to see. Again, to put this into the context, Moses is talking to people who are about to enter the promised land, and he's laying out before them, this is what's going to happen if you don't listen. Like This joyous moment that you're about to experience, it can all be taken away. And, and Moses here really starts to look pretty far ahead into what's going to happen. He he speaks even about, I mean, it sounds like he's talking about the exile prophetically here as he, he begins. He says, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Talk about that language of the Lord scattering.
1: Yeah, that's uh, certainly the language of, of exile. He's looking that far ahead. Certainly we see some of this pattern arise in, in the time of the judges as well. Uh, but here it's for sure the scattering um, looks ahead to uh, to the exile. This is brought up again I mean, in Deuteronomy later on, this uh, this you know, judgment uh, against sin and idolatry will lead to the people being scattered. God is gathering them into the land right now. He's giving them a place. Um, and so scattering is, is language of of judgment in in and throughout the old testament um that the people are, are scattered among the peoples. this is part of uh, nehemiah's lent um lament in chapter one uh, of his that you know remembering this word um, remember the word uh, nehemiah says to, to god that you commanded your servant moses saying if you're unfaithful um, i'll scatter you among the people this is prophesied in ezekiel and jeremiah uh you know, throughout uh, their their prophecies the, the scattering that god has done also the um Jeremiah brings up a judgment against the false shepherds who have participated in this scattering themselves by keeping the people from the true worship um of the Lord their God. Um, so so scattering is a, a theme of judgment. Uh, we see this in the uh, the Tower of Babel as well, right? The people had gathered in one tongue and one language uh, for, for one purpose you know, unto idolatry and pride, and God's judgment was to scatter them, disperse them um, over the face of the earth as he you know, also uh, scrambled their languages. But then right there's always the good news uh, that, that also lies uh, behind that. And that our God is a a gathering God. Um, Nehemiah, you know, in his lament is also bringing this up as well, right? You know, God, you you also said, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen uh, to make my name dwell there. Uh, Jeremiah uh, looks forward to the to the Lord who has scattered um, Israel will also gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. So this also ties in with the, the shepherd imagery um, of our Lord that uh, when the when the flock is scattered, uh, the good shepherd goes and and finds them and uh, gathers them together again so that he can protect them, so that he can be their shepherd, and so that uh, he can be the one who um, guards them and protects them. So yes, God in judgment scatters. Uh, but he in his mercy also then um, gathers uh, we, we see this you know in the the motion of the church as uh, uh, Pentecost in one way undoes what god did at Babel where all people of all nations and tribes and languages are gathered uh, at the sound of the uh, the rushing wind and the, the preaching of the apostles um, and wonder at what they have seen and heard on that day
0: mm-hmm. as you talk about the the scattering the gathering that we do see and the both the the judgment but then the salvation of the lord and particularly in bringing up pentecost i think in the in the lord scattering his people which which does happen in the exile i think you see how the lord then takes something that we might see as only a a thing that is bad and he works good out of it and particularly in the way that it happens on pentecost and then in other old testament places for example like isaiah chapter 2 where the Lord talks about his own mountain, Mount Zion being the place where all nations stream. So as as he scatters his people into the nations and they go there in exile, they take the word with them. And even in their mourning over the loss of their homeland and over the temple in Jerusalem, they have the word with them and they they speak it to the people that are there in Babylon or the other places where they are scattered, such that when the Lord does begin to gather people together again. It's not just those who are Israelite by birth that are being gathered, but it's it's all nations. And I, this you know this language of scattering while there is judgment involved in in Deuteronomy 4 and we don't want to lose that. We also see how the Lord through that judgment even works to do his work of gathering and again not just for his his own people according to blood but to bring even Gentiles as a part of his people by faith.
1: Yeah, and I think about the parable of the sower um, in this regard. That uh, the Lord scatters His word, uh, mm. right, freely, willy-nilly, uh, you know, wherever it may go. Right, He has not a care whether it's falling on the path or among the thorns or the rocks or or on the good soil. Um, he's he's scattering His word. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we we rejoice that the Lord scatters His word uh, near and far, and uh, that He sends that into all nations uh, again, so that He can also then do uh, the gathering. Uh, work that he uh, that he longs to do and, you know it's what because it it's what the church does um, the church gathers together and this was you know one of the jarring features of, of the covid 19 closures right that we were we were kind of scattered from one another's physical presence and and isolated uh, you know god, god doesn't work in a in a you know at least ultimately in a scattering way um he does scatter his word freely and sends it through um his people um, out into the the world but it's for that ultimate purpose of gathering others Around himself, and I, I think we we all heard stories too about the you know the times of, of COVID nineteen and the scattering, the jarring effect that had. Uh, there, there were things that uh, were used to to you know, gather additional people um, to connect them to Christ or, or grow them more closely uh, to their to their faith in in Christ and, and relying on Him and His the security we have alone in Him and not anything else in this world.
0: Well, in this, this gathering language, then, this is the way the Lord often speaks when it comes to not just what happens within the church today. You know, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church. But this is, this is language then that points us toward what the Lord will do on the final day. That's the final gathering.
1: Yes, indeed. You know, Second Thessalonians two uh, says, you know, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him. the, the resurrection is the great gathering. Uh, we think of the the vision of Revelation seven and the uh, the gathered crowd there of people from all tribes and nations and languages and and people around the gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb, uh, you know, praising them with with loud voices. Uh, and so, right ultimately, in in the new creation, uh, we'll be we'll be gathered together. Um, finally and fully as God's free uh, free people, freed from sin and death, and uh, gathered together around his presence forever.
0: Now, as as having taken that gospel detour from the text, we, we return back to the way Moses is speaking. So the Lord's going to scatter you, and then not only will you be scattered, but there will be few of you, which is, I mean, that sounds like the exact opposite of the promise God gave to Abraham.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, in you know, kind of throughout this little section, uh, there's kind of various touch points as to the, the way this promise of Abraham while it's still going to be in effect is kind of be is going to be uh, have the opposite effect on the people as they uh, forget him and as they potentially walk away uh, from the Lord. Uh, you know I will I will bless you says the Lord you know, throughout De- Deuteronomy turns into the possibility of, of cursing. Right. And more of that comes a little later in Deuteronomy, but it's there. Um, the the language of I will multiply your offspring turns here into all right, being left few in number. Uh, in Genesis 22, one of the promises, your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. Uh, and what we just talked about, right, them being scattered into and in some ways being possessed by the peoples and nations uh, maybe as a result of their unfaithfulness. Um, and finally, uh, right, the promise of all nations of the earth being blessed in and through Abraham uh, turns into, you know, Even in the land, in their idolatry, the people seeming like they are just one with the nations as they serve other gods that are made with human hands. They're not distinct from the nations, and so uh, they are in no way a separate and special blessing to them um, in in their times of idolatry and walking away from the Lord and faith in him.
0: You now, you know, with all of those blessings and then receiving the opposite, when there is this unbelief toward the Lord, how do these promises that you describe, how do they finally get fulfilled in Christ?
1: Right, Christ himself you know, is God's ultimate blessing. Uh, the offspring of Abraham, right, are multiplied by faith in the offspring of Abraham, right, Christ who is the, the seed of Abraham and the fulfillment of that covenant, covenant promise, uh, we have the, the joyful news, right, that through faith in Christ and His victory, uh, we possess the gates, so to speak, of our enemies of sin and death. You know, I, I thought, think of uh, Matthew 16, where uh, where Christ uh, tells Peter, "I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." Right, the rock of Peter's confession, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, right, we, we you know, again through Christ's victory um, have the possession of of that uh, through through our faith in Him, right, and then finally. And all nations are blessed in the proclamation of the gospel of Christ to all nations. Um, at the end, you know, God, what Christ tells his apostles uh, to do at the end of Matthew and Luke and at the beginning of Acts, right? Take the gospel into all nations, uh, baptizing and teaching and uh, proclaiming the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so it's, uh, it's in and through uh, Christ and, you know, the ongoing work of Christ in and through his church uh, that this, you know, blessing of, of Abraham uh, gets uh, gets continues continues to be you know scattered to all nations uh, that they might be mm. gathered um, and blessed uh, by God.
0: Mm. Yeah, that promise to Abraham continues to provide backbone for the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to keep looking at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Joel Hawk about Deuteronomy chapter four. We'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 10th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 to 43 with Pastor Joel Hawk. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota. Pastor Hawk, prior to the break, we were looking at what will happen to the people of Israel should they fall into idolatry. If they forsake the Lord, they don't teach the children what they need to know about the Lord. And this is perhaps a bit surprising, as the Lord describes what happens in exile. They'll actually serve these these false gods, these gods of wood and wood and stone. What what happens there in verse twenty eight?
1: Yeah, they will serve them there. You know, by and large, this will come about because they've already been uh, serving them. Uh, mm-hmm. And here's you know one of the epithets, kind of against these idols, right there: the work of human hands. Uh, right, uh, they're not the God who made everything uh, by His own you know, hands and by His own word. Uh, rather, right, and you know, the injunction against idolatry throughout the Old Testament is this idea that you know these idols are the work of human hands. They they have mouths but do not speak, and eyes but don't see, they have ears but don't hear, and noses but don't smell, and they have all you know they they look like you know something that should do something, right? But they just they just sit there, right? They're things that are made by others. Um, you know in Isaiah 44 um, you know there's the the commentary right you know the same wood gets used to, to you know, fuel fire uh, and then is you know made an object of worship um, and and a talisman i was I was thinking back to our earlier conversation about the images even we have in the church right and I think the one continued you know possible warning for us right is to not use uh, an image of Christ or a crucifix, you know, sort of like a talisman or a good luck charm, right? As if the the image itself had power and blessing, right? It's always pointing us to our, our faith in Christ and, you know, Christ himself and his work, um, right? Because that's the danger of having, you know, even these idols of, you know, wood and stone, right? They become talismans. Oh, if I have this little shrine in my house, um, then, you know, then this God will protect me or if I, if I do, if I do the right rituals every day, then this God will bless me in this certain way, right? That's what these idols mm-hmm. um, and shrines were, were, were meant to do, so to speak. Um, and right, but they don't, they don't see, they don't hear, they don't eat, they don't smell. They're made out of wood or silver or gold um, or things like that. They're, they're merely the work of human hands, not the living and active God who made all things.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do, how do those idols, then, that don't have all these things and, and can't hear or eat or smell, how does that stand in contrast to the true God?
1: Right, and it's, it's very interesting to think about, right, because one of our, our understandings of you know, God you know, in, you know, in himself, so to speak, perhaps, is that he, he doesn't have a body, right, at least you know, prior to and outside of, of Christ our Savior, um, yet he is spirit and truth, um, and yet here he's right, distinguishing himself from other gods as a God who sees and hears and, and eats and smells. As opposed to those idols that have, you know, are and always have been, you know, fashioned in and have um, a physical form, Uh, right? We understand, right, through through the Psalms, like Psalm 139, a classic example of God seeing us and and knowing us at all times, that God does see, uh, right? It's a hopeful promise that our God hears uh, you know, as, as Elisha was uh, uh, battling with the, uh, the prophets of Baal in First Kings um, 18, right? He's, he's crying, you know, he's Baal can't hear you. Right? You got to talk louder or you got to, you know, got to <laughs> do this, that, or that. He can't see you. He can't hear you. But, you know, my God hears, right? It's the fact that God hears him uh, that leads to the fire coming down and, and consuming the altar and the sacrifices, I um, mean, even God eating, right? Um, the, the text maybe doesn't specifically say um, that God himself eats, but uh, right, Moses and and the others went up on the mountain um, and, you know, it says they, they ate and drank with God um, there on the mountain in Exodus 24, uh, 9 to 11. I think of the vision of God's mountain in Isaiah 25 as is one with a feast set um, there as well. Um, so again, no picture there in Isaiah 25 of God himself eating from that feast, but uh, food certainly uh, there around. Um, and then you know the idea of smell right God, uh, our prayers and the, the pleasing aroma of the Old Testament sacrifices as incense that rises up to God. Um, yeah, maybe perhaps in one way, uh, you know an anthropomorphism, but you know, I think, especially in a text like this, God says, "Well, these idols don't smell." Well, maybe God is a God who does smell, even though He doesn't have right, again physical features, you know, even before Christ Himself.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it's it is interesting that within this context, where there is no carved image to be made, that these these are the features that are that are pointed out, and we know that God does. You know, He is the one who does see, hear, eat, and smell. It. I, I wonder if this is one of those places in the old testament when when this is the the difference between idols and the true god that we're we're given the clue that hey the incarnation is coming because in in christ god does truly see hear eat and smell like like you and i do i I, that's i don't know i don't want to say too much but i i see a a hint of the incarnation in this sort of juxtaposition
1: right or at least that god you know or at least you know also that that we are you know made in god's image and so uh, though, yeah, that we 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 ourselves, you know, ha- have and do things similar to uh, to what God does and is, um, and uh, certainly we can that we can understand Him um, in some ways, and He wants to be understood by us. And, and certainly, I think at the very least, that points us to Christ uh, as the the ultimate you know, understanding and knowledge of who God is, as we talked about earlier, that He is the image of the invisible God, and that uh, He you da- know certainly does see and hear and eat and smell exactly in the same way. Uh, that, that we do, right? Even after his resurrection, you know, that uh, uh, that he ate the broiled fish kind of saying, hey, I'm, I'm not a ghost, right? You're not seeing it kind of just fil- filter through me, <laughs> right? I'm actually eating like, like you are, even after the resurrection. So even Christ in his post-resurrection uh, glory, so to speak, you know, does these things by, you know, according to his human nature, uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, we, we certainly want to kind of look forward to that
0: yeah yeah so as as Moses continues then in the text uh, this verse 28 seems is this is the rock bottom of the exile you're going to to serve these false gods that you already were of your own volition you're going to see just how bad that was but through that the lord's going to to bring you back to him and you're going to start to seek him uh, what do we see in verse 29
1: yeah it's it's a wonderful promise uh, right that yeah when we hit rock bottom um God is still there um, when you do seek, and again we would understand that motion happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe working through the law and through an understanding of, hey, I don't like life the way it is, and I've hit rock bottom. Uh, the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts to, right? Again, seek the Lord, and He says, when you seek Him, you'll find Him. And and for us, you know, I think the question arises: well, where are we going to find Him? Right? Are we going to find Him on the mountaintops? Are we going to find Him um, in our hearts? Uh, where are we going to find Him? All right, no, we're we're gonna find him um, in his word. Right? That's where the Lord wants to be sought and found and known um, in his promises uh, to us that that come to us that that do uh, what he wants them to do upon our hearts again sometimes with with law uh, showing our sins pointing out where we have uh, fallen short where we've turned to idols and and what that has brought upon us um, in our lives whether idols of wood and stone right or the idols uh, uh, that we conjure for ourselves today um, in all sorts of in all sorts of ways and times but god says when when you when you realize what's going on i'm gonna be here um, with my word um, for you uh, you will find me because that's where I am. And that's where I want to be seen and known.
0: What's the the tribulation and the latter days that Moses speaks about in verse thirty?
1: Yeah, so like many Old Testament prophecies, you know, maybe it has a couple of, of touch points uh, for us. Uh, you know, we certainly want to think about this as a as a reference to right, the people in tribulation in exile and uh, kind of the, the the latter days of what Moses is. Is seeing here that they'll return to the Lord your God and obey His voice, uh, but but certainly right as we we consider the the whole totality of Scripture when we see tribulation and latter days kind of connected together, uh, we think of we think of the end times uh, so to speak, and those those end times. Uh, Through Christ, uh, right? That the New Testament and Christ Himself promise and say uh, there's going to be times of trouble and turmoil um, in the latter days of all things, not just the latter days of our time in in the promised land or in exile, but in the latter days of all things. um, You know, we're called when we're in trouble and tribulation, uh, like the people of Israel who were in exile, to return to the Lord, uh, listen to and trust in and uh, follow and obey His voice uh, because. You know, going into verse thirty-one, because the Lord is a merciful God, mm. um, He doesn't leave us. He doesn't destroy us. He doesn't forget um, us or the covenant that that He swears. Right? This is this is the basis for our hope. Right? Mm. Not on our turning, not on our um, seeking, not on um, you know the the you know, genuineness of our repentance though we certainly want it to be uh, be genuine or the the heartfeltness. Uh, but when we cry out to God, right? Lord, have mercy. Um, not maybe even knowing all that maybe entails. God is merciful. God is God is gracious. You know, contexts like this, I think of you know, I think of the parable of the prodigal son, um, as we call it. So when 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 the son comes to his senses, right? So when Israel comes to his senses, when the Christian uh, you know comes to their who's maybe fallen away for a while, comes to their senses, God is ready to welcome welcome back in tender embrace. With, you know, with with God, what is dead and lost uh, can become alive and found again. Uh, by his grace and mercy as so others there's always um hope and promise for us that he's still merciful we can still find him in his word and that he still sees us and knows us and is always inviting us to return to him no matter how bad it's gotten and no matter how far we've wandered mm,
0: yeah what a what a beautiful promise and I, I really like the connection to the the parable of luke 15 about the uh, the parable of the prodigal son that that wonderful picture of the father who's who's there doing precisely what the Lord is doing for his people here in Deuteronomy chapter four. Now, as, as Moses continues then with his his sermon, he invites the people yet again to consider how God has treated them in the past. And I, as the text goes forward, it, it, he really starts to emphasize and really just hammer home the uniqueness of what God has done. You know, he's, he's already talked several times about the futility of idols they they can't do any of these things and and here he really just says you know look look at what god has done has any other god ever even tried something like this what what things does moses start to point out about the things that god has done in the past starting there in verse 32
1: yeah and he uh, he starts with the sinai event right uh, when when god uh, you know comes down these. he's delivered them from uh from egypt and you know that's another that's another you know, part of it too the deliverance at the red sea and uh, being brought to sinai and the, the thunder and lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking and uh you know exodus 20 says the people were afraid and trembled when they saw this and stood far off and said to moses right you speak to us and we'll listen but don't let god speak to us lest we die um uh, right and moses says to them then don't fear for god has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you right god God appeared in this way, in some ways to you know, kind of make them afraid, to make them understand that He was a living and active uh, God; that there was you know great you know seriousness in what um, God was was doing and putting before them. That this this wasn't just kind of a, a again a freedom to nothing or freedom to do whatever they want, but a freedom to be um, His people, uh, right? So not not just seeing God um, in, in the Old Testament is understood as a death sentence, but even hearing God's voice directly. Uh, was thought as as too terrible a thing and, and it's actually right we have this account in exodus 24 of the uh, the tent of meeting that Moses had where he would go and, mm. and meet with God and and actually the reason for the veil over Moses' face after he emerged from the tent of meeting was not it's not described as that he saw God but that he talked with him that Moses had heard God's voice uh, in that tent uh, directly to him and that's that's why his his face shone and he had to put the uh, the veil over that it's not a place where Moses saw God but a place where Moses talked with God and heard his voice um, and and God recounts that yeah. did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire at the, on the top of Sinai to the whole people um, even even you know in that singular moment to Moses um, on Sinai in the the burning bush uh, or, you know, and, and then then he continues on right and all the other things has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself in the midst of another nation uh, right to delivering them from slavery in Egypt um, you know and bringing them out by, by trial signs, wonders, uh, war and all the things that we that we read about in that account the, the, we call them the plagues i um, in the Exodus account, but you know, a lot of times the word even in Exodus are, are these words of signs and wonders uh, that God is doing um, in the midst of the people of Egypt uh, right to, you know to, to free his people um, you know, in, in knowing who God is and, and why he does things. Probably even saying, "Hey, you know, Egyptians, <laughs> turn, turn to me. I, I, am the the God who can do things. Um, your, your, your trickster magicians can maybe copy some things here and there by the dark arts, but you know, it very quickly got out of control <laughs> for them. Um, and so, yeah. uh, so guys, you know look at all these things that I did that, that you yourselves even understood, um, or at least you know your forebears um, as having you know a, a greater power uh, than the so-called gods, uh, gods of Egypt." Here's, here's what I've done for you. I've taken you by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm um, and brought you to myself. And this is all done, right? Verse 35, that you might know that the Lord is God. There's none other beside him because, because no other God has done this or could even, I'd right, hope to do this uh, because of the, the nature of what they really are. Hmm.
0: Uh, this is one of those sections of, of Deuteronomy that would, I, I could just hear any Christian pastor taking an and just updating to where we are in the Lord's history, you know, Moses brings out the things he does because of the the time in which he stands, fourteen oh six B.C. That I mean, can't you just hear a, a pastor updating the language to to include, you know, did any people ever hear the voice of of? Christ? I mean, like, just think of the way that God fulfills us in Christ. You know, we hear His voice and we live. Yeah, he He took us out of the the devil's domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. I mean, it's just what a such a a close parallel between what God did at this time and what he's done now in Christ.
1: Yeah, and Hebrews 1 points us to that too, right? Very often in the Old Testament, God doesn't directly speak to people. He speaks through the prophets, all right? But in these last days, and there's that kind of phrase again, in these latter days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. When we hear Christ, we hear the Father. When we hear Christ, we hear the voice of God. Uh, again, no, no no filters, so to speak, uh, and we yeah. right, we still we still get to hear that, right? Uh, and that's the the humbling thing that um, you know, as pastors kind of stand in, in the office of the ministry and and do that uh, um, in the, in the midst of the people. But even as as we get the chance, you know, even even uh, every Christian to share God's word um, in their families, in their homes, with their neighbors, uh, right? In, in a way, they're they're hearing. They're hearing the voice of God because they're hearing the Word of God, um, that Word itself, which is powerful and and living and active and and does what God uh, sends it to accomplish in the lives of people when it's spoken.
0: Mm. Now, all of this, as Moses makes clear, is that the people would know that only the lord only yahweh is god there's no other besides him in verse 36 he says part of what god was doing was to discipline the people what was the discipline that the lord wanted to give his people
1: right, the uh, the discipline of uh, shutting their own mouths and uh, listening to <laughs> listening to his voice uh, uh, for their own good right there's not there's not punishment uh, here so to, so to speak uh, you know certainly you know, that's that's kind of the context of what might happen here but the the discipline of hearing the voice of god the discipline of uh, listening to God rather than our own thoughts or our own voices or the voices of the world around us or or anything like that, right? A discipline that that we still need uh, today. A discipline that we pray that the the Holy Spirit uh, cultivates um, in our lives of of listening to God above all things, of uh, um, hearing his hearing his instruction, hearing his even his good news uh, to to understand. Uh, you know, what has happened to our sins, and, and where we get eternal life, uh, and all those things wrapped up in it. Hmm.
0: As, as Moses continues, then he says, "This is because he because he loved your fathers; he brought you out of Egypt; he chose their offspring." There's a lot of gospel language in this part of the sermon.
1: A lot of gospel language that's you know, reflected in the in the New Testament as well. I you know, think of Colossians three twelve: that "We are we are God's chosen ones, uh, holy and beloved uh, in Christ." Uh, that it's in Christ as the fulfillment of these promises to uh, to Abraham that we receive God's grace, that, that we become God's chosen one, uh, again, beloved in Christ. And, uh, you know, continuing on to the, uh, the understanding of the land uh, you know, for an inheritance, right? The inheritance that we have, according to, to 1 Peter 1, uh, that inheritance of, of resurrection um, in Christ our Lord, the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, Know, kept in heaven for us, and First and Peter one has a context, uh, right? A, a little bit of the testing and discipline um, of mm-hmm. faith. Uh, that you know, in in this promise of inheritance, we rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God's word comes to us, uh, so that uh, we can cling to it firmly and trust it and uh, um, listen to it alone um, in Christ alone, uh, rather than all the the voices that uh, we find around us and even uh, within us um, from our sinful nature.
0: I mean, you can as as Moses concludes it. I think you should. We need to hear his voice building to a climax here. I mean, just listen to. Know therefore today, lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. You just have to hear his his voice building as he comes to the the conclusion of this sermon. Uh, talk a little bit about the language of of laying it on your heart there in verse thirty nine.
1: And right, this right, this isn't just that that intellectual assent, right? I don't I don't just you know know the thing in your mind, but this is the the language language of the catechism, right? To fear, love, and trust in God uh, above all things, right? Lay it it on your heart. Uh, Let it be deep within, you know, who you are and um, what you believe uh, that, right? This is that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. And therefore, again, he's worthy, deserving, um, the only one really out there who who, commands and controls your, your faith and your life and uh, you know is able to do all good things for you, and He promises to do that um, you know, as you follow Him. You know, even when you, you don't follow Him for for a great long while, as we see in the mm-hmm. uh, the story of the Old Testament, um, and, he, and this knowledge that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, that that He is the one who has created all these things. And you know, I think of the of uh, the images from the uh, the new telescope that's out there. I'm blanking on the name right now, um, but uh, um, but you know, just the vast Expanse of the heavens and our, our continuing knowledge of the the depths of the earth and the, even the, the, the microscopic nature of of the way God's created things here uh, should really you know, fuel our awe and wonder of who God is, uh, what He's done, what He still controls, what He's over, and uh, uh, lead us to again that fear, that love, that trust uh, that that He considers us in Christ, that He became, that that God became one of us. And died on the cross for us and our yeah. salvation. This is just an awe-inspiring fact.
0: Mm, for sure, for sure. And so with, with this, then Moses brings his first sermon to a conclusion and I think paves the way for his second sermon where he says, you know, therefore keep these statutes, these commandments, it will go well for you. This will be good. He's laid his case, is very persuasive sermon here to listen to the Lord, to hold on to him because he's the only God because of all of his faithfulness to you, even in your unfaithfulness, cling to him. So with that conclusion, we we get to the end of Moses's first sermon there in verse 40, setting the stage for what he's going to start preaching in in chapter 5. We have a little bit of an interlude here, verses that we haven't yet read. We need to pick up today. This is Deuteronomy 4 verses 41 to 43, a little bit of, of action here in the, Deuteron- in the book of Deuteronomy in the midst of these sermons. We continue in the text. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan that the manslayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in time past. He may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bazar in the wilderness of the Tableland for the Reubenites Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. That's verses 41 to 43 of Deuteronomy chapter 4. So a, a brief interlude in the midst of these sermons, some action, something that Moses actually does. Uh, what are these cities of refuge, as they're called, and and why does Moses designate these three here?
1: Yeah, so a brief description, right, is given in, in verse 42 that uh, the manslayer or someone who has, uh, you know, Killed another person might um, go to these cities, and especially for those who uh, right, killed killed this person, their neighbor unintentionally, without uh, hatred in your heart. And a lot of this is picked up and described a lot more fully in Numbers thirty-five, uh, specifically nine through fifteen. But but a lot of Numbers thirty-five is is given to describing these cities of refuge and the various. Uh, Possibilities and reasons uh, and ways that somebody might kill somebody else, you know, unintentionally without uh, being at enmity with him um, in time past. Um, and part of that was there, there was going to be an avenger of blood, uh, with uh, with you mm. know, for the person who was was killed, someone who would make sure that uh, justice was done one way or another, and uh, that the manslayer, the, the murderer, could uh, flee to these cities and uh, you know have them as a place of refuge. Uh, you know, and they, they would have to live there for for some time. So it's not like they could flee there and then things be figured out necessarily, and then they would right away go back go back home. Uh, there was kind of a time frame uh, listed there. But anyway, it was it was a place where um, and, a, and a a way for God to protect those um, who again yes had taken a life, um, but through through the process. Um, you know, we're shown to be having shown to having done that, you know, unintentionally without hatred, you know, kind of these accidental uh, things that can happen. Um, and, and, you know, justice, justice could be done uh, without the shedding of blood um, in that way, and he gives them to these three, um, these three tribes who were receiving um, at least a portion of their inheritance in the um, in the case of the Manassites on this east side of the Jordan. Um, Numbers thirty five had set this up but there would be three on that side of the Jordan and three um, in Canaan proper. Um, you know, in that in that uh, region.
0: So, and and just briefly, as as we conclude here, why? I mean, is there We've been reading a sermon, and here we got some cities of refuge. Is this just that's when it happened? And so that's when. Moses records it here?
1: Uh, that's certainly a, either a possibility for the only reason or, or certainly p- perhaps a part of it. Um, you know, at a, at a deeper level, it can be a, an example of, you know, Moses carrying out God's commands, um, an example of God's gracious provision once more, uh, that uh, here, here's an example of, you know, how God acts graciously for you. And here's an example of what it looks like to carry out God's commands um, as well. And it kind of, you know, one final point. Um, legitimizing peace as well for the occupation of that land and, and those regions by Reuben, uh, Gad, and Manasseh um, on that side of the Jordan. Um, you know, we see how that kind of causes some some stressors and uh, um, tensions uh, you know, as time goes by in the Old Testament. Uh, but the, this was, you know, foreseeing this was part of what God intended or at least uh, gave to the people um, because he very clearly in Numbers 35 says, you know, three of these cities of refuge will be on that side of the Jordan uh, for for the mm. people who dwell there.
0: Yeah. So maybe another one of those, as we've said in in previous, when we are talking about chapter three and that conquering of that side of the Jordan, how there's a foretaste of what is to come here in the giving of the cities of refuge in real time, yet another foretaste of what God is doing. He's given you as according to his promise, he will continue to give to you according to his promise as well with the cities of refuge. Pastor Joel Hawk serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 to 43. Pastor Hawk, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Great to be with you again.
0: The Lord is God. There is no other. He alone can see you and hear you and be with you. He is with you. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, is Emmanuel, God with us. There is no other God. Worship him alone. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy chapter 4, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.